two of Grandma Faulkner's house in Port Dover. I think this would have been about sometime in the 1920s. In the bedrooms there were huge wooden beds with high headboards embellished with ornate designs. The bed had no mattress but had wooden slats and a feather tick filled with goose feathers. The tick would have to be fluffed up each morning in order to retain its softness. There were always pillow shams put on top of the pillows. These were some sort of slim wooden frameworks on which were fastened white linen cloths which had been embroidered with floral designs as well as some terse wording such as God is love or loving is giving or sleep well, etc. An imposing display which spoke well of your artistic ability with the needle. There was also a commode with a rack at the top for towels, a huge wash bowl and a large pitcher for water. There was a door in the bottom which accommodated the inevitable chamber pot. There were hooks on the back of the door for clothing. Grandma's wardrobe was never extensive. One good dress for church and social occasions, one hat, and three or four house dresses. There was a wooden dresser with drawers and a large tilting mirror on top. There were three bedrooms in the house. There was a front parlor which was practically never used. I remember that there was a huge glass case hanging on the wall, a reed organ in the corner, and an upholstered love seat. Grandma Faulkner suffered greatly from arthritis in her back in her later years. She would come to Aunt Clara's and St. Thomas occasionally for a visit and would stay only a couple of days, then she would want to go home. Also, if any of her relatives came to visit her, they could never surprise her. She would say, I knew you were coming. How she knew, I never could figure out. Perhaps she had ESP, or perhaps it was just hope. Sometimes the Jersey cow would start to moo and moo and raise an awful ruckus. She would bawl all day long, and I would ask Grandma what she was making all the fuss about. Grandma would smile to herself and say, Oh, she's only bullying. I never did understand what she meant by that until later years. Grandma always had homemade cookies on hand. If a child came in for a visit, she would say, Do you want a cookie? If the child said, I don't care, Grandma would answer, Well, if you don't care, you don't need to have a cookie. She wouldn't give him one. They soon learned to say, Yes, please, and thank you. Also, I can remember Grandma talking to me about a little boy in Dover who got into the raisins, and he swallowed quite a few without chewing them first. Needless to say, the child's stomach began to swell out of proportion, and he was screaming with pain. His mother, who was British, ran around holding her hands to her head and yelling, Oh, I hope he don't bust! I hope he don't bust! What the consequences of this episode were, I never heard, but I'll wager that the child learned a good lesson. The veranda on Grandma's house was comparable to a recreation room nowadays in the modern houses. There was a wooden swing slung up by chains, and it had soft cushions. There was Grandma's rocking chair, as well as some wicker chairs, 
that would seat seven or eight people comfortably. Since there was no TV, we contented ourselves with conversation. I remember that I borrowed a Greek book from Uncle Pete, and I spent many happy hours learning the Greek alphabet and a few simple sentences. Grandpa made his living by hauling gravel from the lake and from the beach with his old horse and wagon. He sold this gravel to builders and contractors. This was all right in the spring and summer. I don't know how they made out financially in the winter. He also raised pigs and had his own smokehouse for hanging hams and bacons. Grandma used to make a little pocket money by cleaning out the summer cottages and getting them ready for occupancy in the summer. I often helped her with this chore by sweeping away the spider webs and cleaning the floors. Port Dover was always crowded in the summertime with tourists and summer cottagers. On the glorious 1st of July, they would always have a big celebration with a huge Galumpian parade with bands and floats, and they would have swimming and boating races on the River Lynn down by the docks. I remember that I won the swimming race one year, a big deal. They would have band concerts in the band shell in the little park downtown. This was a great social event, and everybody and his brother went. My cousin and I used to spend a great time on the beach tanning ourselves. One time, after roasting myself all summer, we went back to Grand Rapids, and Mother and I were walking down Fulton Street, and a car full of black fellows drove by. They rolled down the window on their car and yelled out, How are you, honey? Mother was mortified. There were always Saturday night dances at the dance hall down at the lake. Edna and I used to go down together. This one Saturday night we went, and there were not very many present. We sat like wallflowers for a while, and then this farmery-looking fellow came up to Edna and asked her for a dance. They got out on the floor, and he said to her, "'There ain't very many here tonight,' and she replied, "'No, nope, there ain't,' and that was the sum total of their conversation for the rest of the dance." Needless to say, we went home in disgust. This was not the end of this episode, however. We sneaked into the side door and quietly went to bed at about 9.30 p.m. The next morning after breakfast, Mother and I were washing dishes, and I said we were going to the movie theater. Mother said, you're not going anywhere tonight. You didn't get home till 3 o'clock this morning, and I'm grounding you. I was so mad she didn't believe me that I took the dish I was wiping and smashed it against the wall and flounced out of the kitchen. In the afternoon, when Mother was shopping with Grandma, I packed a suitcase and ran away. I was picked up by two young fellows in a sports car, and they took me to St. Thomas. When I arrived there, I went to stay with a special girlfriend of mine, Alma Strickland. Mother and Dad were sure I had run away to Pete McNabb a chap I had been going steady with in St. Thomas. They were afraid I was going to get married to Pete. Dad hightailed it to St. Thomas. I was not with Aunt Clara where he thought I would be, so he went to see Pete. Of course, Pete did not even know I was in St. Thomas. However, as fate would have it, my cousin Frank saw me on Talbot Street and talked to me and found out that I was staying with Thelma. The cat was out of the bag, so Dad took me back to Dover. Edna upheld my story that we were in early from the dance and peace was restored. Relations were strained between my mother and I for some time after that. 
When I was in Port Dover one summer, I met some American girls who were interested in art, and we used to go out sketching on along the River Lynn and other picturesque places around Port Dover. We were out on one of our daily sketching tours down by the fishing boats and the dock when I was overcome by a feeling of dreadful sickness. I went home to Grandma and was running a high fever. She called the doctor. He diagnosed my illness as a particularly violent case of black diphtheria. I will never forget how I suffered. My throat was swollen to the point where I could hardly swallow and was filled with a gray, crepey phlegm. The doctor told me to gargle with hot salt water and to inhale this saline solution through my nose. This seemed to help me and to relieve the soreness. Of course, in those days, they did not have the wonder drugs they have now, and I consider myself lucky to have survived that dreadful illness. I used to love going on a boating excursion up the river Lynn with my father. We'd rent a rowboat and row down the river. It was beautiful. There were always lots of seagulls and lots of red-winged blackbirds. These were happy times. Of course, my boyfriends from St. Thomas used to come down to visit me at Port Dover. There was Pete McNabb, a Catholic fellow, I was very fond of. My folks were so afraid I was going to marry him. He had two brothers who were priests. One was a school teacher in Toronto, and the other was a missionary in China. He had two sisters who were nuns. Pete did his best to convert me to Catholicism, but never succeeded. He was a dear boy, not especially handsome, with blonde hair and blue eyes, a pug nose, and an enduring smile, but I dearly loved him. The last I heard of him, he was an appliance salesman in a shop in St. Thomas. Also, there was Murray McBain. I started going with him after Pete, and I broke up seemed to have a lot of pictures of Murray, but none of Pete. One of the highlights of the day in Port Dover was to go down to the dock and meet the ferry, which came in from Erie, Pennsylvania, every day. One time we went down to Turkey Point to visit Aunt Mary and Uncle Clyde. Aunt Mary was Grandma's sister. They had a summer hotel, and Uncle Clyde used to take fishing parties out on his motor launch. He had a little dinghy, which he had sold to a chap in Port Dover and he had to tow it for him. Aunt Hilda, Edna, and I went with him for the trip. We arrived safely at Dover, but when we went down to the dock in the evening to see the ferry, there was a boat on fire along the side of the pier. To our horror, we discovered that it was Uncle Clyde's boat, on which we had been sailing that very afternoon. There had been an explosion in the motor, which had thrown Uncle Clyde in the water. The boat was totaled by the fire, and we considered ourselves lucky that the explosion had not taken place in the afternoon when we were out on Lake Erie. Oh.